Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, leading people into the Christ-centered life. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 today. You can meet me there in your Bible or on your device. Matthew chapter 1. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you, and it's page 966 in that Bible there. We're in a short little series, as it is Christmas time, that we're calling Four Witnesses. And we are looking at the Christmas story in Matthew and Luke, and we are talking about four people or groups of people who were minding their own business when all of a sudden Jesus Christ shows up in their life. C.S. Lewis challenges us saying, everybody on earth has to figure out what you're going to do with Jesus. Because large promises and claims were made about him, and he made huge claims about himself. And so C.S. Lewis says, you got to do something with that. Uh, And so we're going to look at four people who were, again, just minding their own business, living their lives. Had They had their plans, they had their agenda, and then Jesus shows up. And we are trying to put ourselves into the story. Pastor Mesh challenged us last week, saying sometimes we hear these stories so much, we know it by heart, you know the, the ins and outs of the Christmas story so well that it can just become something that's almost too familiar, where we lose some of the wonder and the awe and the excitement that is connected with this incredible thing that God was doing. So we are looking to put ourselves into this story today as we read the text and as we talk about it this morning. I want to show you a clip before we get to our text this morning. It's from the movie Four Christmases, Four Witnesses. See see what I did there? Four Christmases. And in the scene we are about to look at, uh, there's a couple and they are in a nativity scene. They were asked at the last minute, to jump in. They've never acted before. They've got two lines they got to memorize. Uh, Mary has a little bit of stage fright, and Joseph takes it from there. Take a look. Do I need to say anything more? Is that good? Can we... Joseph takes center stage, and that's what we're going to look at today, because Joseph is often the forgotten member of this Christmas story. It's all about Mary, and rightly, as it should be, Mary is the one carrying the baby and giving birth. When we were expecting our kids, and I would tell people we were pregnant, the woman would always go, ah, you are not pregnant. Sarah is pregnant. And so mom gets the focus as she should, but we don't really know that much about Joseph, and when he's often portrayed in the story, uh, he has kind of one line in the nativity play, and his job, as we've understood it, is he leads the donkey, and he gets rejected by innkeepers, and and that's about it. Everything else is all about Mary, and it's all about Jesus. And we don't actually have a ton of information, but in Matthew's version of the Christmas story, uh, Joseph does actually get some attention, and so we're going to look at that story today. So if you're with me, we're in Matthew chapter 1, and we are starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And that's really all Matthew has to say about the whole Christmas story. Luke goes into much more detail about what happened before and what happened after, and the story itself gets a lot more uh, narrative and description. Matthew is kind of short and sweet, and Christmas is over as of those verses. And we don't really know much more about Joseph than what's here. He shows up in Luke's Christmas story. Uh, There's a story where Jesus is a boy at the temple, and Joseph is in that story. He's referred to a couple of times later, but that's about it for him. We don't know that. That much about him. And yet, what we see, even in just these few verses today, tells us an incredible amount about him. And so last week, we looked at Mary and how she responded when Jesus showed up in her life and what that could teach us. Today, we'll unpack Joseph when Jesus shows up in his life and how that challenges us and inspires us as well. Joseph, uh, at the time of this story, uh, although he's often portrayed as a full man, beard and everything, he's a full-grown man around 30 years old, probably was more like 15 or 16, just based on what we know about culture at that time. So Mary was probably 14 or 15. He was probably a little bit older. We don't really know for sure. But that's just kind of interesting to keep in mind, because when you picture a full-grown man walking this out, it's one thing. When you picture a 15-year-old who can't even grow a beard yet, And the way that he responds in faith as this story unfolds, that just paints a bit of a different picture as we go through it. So verse 18 tells us that Joseph and Mary are pledged. They are engaged. Uh, the Hebrew word is kiddushin, and there still, are, there still is a form of this that exists today, although it's different. And we unpacked it a little bit last week, but kiddushin was uh, an engagement period, but it was a bit different than our modern engagement periods. And a modern engagement, I propose to Sarah, I give her a ring, she says yes, praise the Lord for that, and we have a time period that is basically just about getting ready for the wedding, right? That's the only reason, really, to delay for a year, however long it takes, is we are getting ready for the wedding to happen, and we are preparing to some extent to get married. But in these days, and in the Jewish culture, Kiddushin was different. When you got engaged, there was a full ceremony with your community, and with your family, and with a priest. And a vow was made at that point that said, I will marry you, and I will love you forever, and I will be committed to you, and I will be faithful to you. And it was actually a legally binding agreement. The only way to get out of it was actually to get a divorce. And uh, if the man broke it and was leaving the woman, high and dry, he had to pay her, like an alimony type situation. And so it was much more binding, and there was a lot more to it than our current engagements are today. And in that year that you were waiting, the man's job was to get his career off the ground and get ready, because he had a family to take care of. The woman's job was to get a home ready and prepare to be a wife and a mother. And part of that year waiting as well was there was kind of a built-in moral test that was in there. Because if they were going to be married, they also wanted to be faithful to God's words as Jewish people who were followers of the law. And God's word had said sex is a gift for marriage and we wait until marriage. So part of that year was a test to say, can you wait? Can you honor God's word? Can you be faithful and not actually come together and consummate this relationship until you're actually married? And so that's important to this story because when Mary shows up pregnant, the most logical explanation is that they didn't wait. And there's an added wrinkle in this story because Joseph knows for sure that it's not his. 
And so they are in this engagement process, and they are committed to each other. They love each other, as we're going to see. Uh, they are getting ready. And if you've been engaged, you remember that season, and you're getting ready for your wedding day, and you're excited about what's coming, and you can't wait to live together, and you can't wait to start your life together and have kids and everything that, that you're looking forward to in anticipation. And so uh, a pre-wedding promise has been made. And anytime I perform a wedding or a part of a wedding, uh, I just love that, that marriage, that vow that we take. It's such a beautiful picture of grace because it's two people saying, I love you, flaws and all. I accept you as you are. You accept me as I am. And it's a picture of God's grace for us where God says, I will love you forever. That's his promise promise to us. I will take care of you forever. I will protect you forever. And when we talk about grace, the kind of textbook definition that uh, we often use for grace is the unmerited favor of the Lord, which is just a fancy way of saying the blessing of God that comes that we can't earn and that maybe we don't deserve, but that doesn't matter. He gives it anyway because he's good and because he loves us. This picture of grace, and marriage is a great picture of that. So there is a picture of this grace in Joseph and Mary's life. They have made this commitment to each other. And in what I can only imagine must have been an awfully awkward conversation in the midst of this engagement, Mary comes with some news. And Joseph understandably has a hard time receiving that news right away. Because they love each other, they're preparing for life together, they are being faithful, they are being faithful to God's word, they are being faithful to one another, and then out of the blue Mary shows up, oh by the way I'm pregnant, and oh by the way we both know it's not yours, and oh by the way it's a miracle God baby, and oh by the way I would love to still get married. And Joseph doesn't jump up and down with excitement in that moment. And so Joseph's first response is doubt, and I would suggest it is reasonable doubt. Because the most likely explanation for the community is that Joseph and Mary didn't make it to their wedding night. The most likely explanation for Joseph is that Mary has cheated on him, because he knows that baby is not his. And so he's got this coming at him out of the blue. He had a plan. His plan was in place. He had an agenda. He had hopes and dreams for the future. And then out of left field, this gets presented before him. And he's got a dilemma. He struggles. Verse 19 of our text today says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Some versions will say because he was a righteous man and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So Joseph has a real problem at this point. He's a faithful man. He loves God's word. He has been living God's way. He has a woman that he loves, that he is pledged to. He has been preparing to spend his life with her. She shows up pregnant. He knows it's not hers. She says this has come from the Holy Spirit. And we don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit. I know the Holy Spirit can be a confusing uh, aspect of our theology. We're going to dive into some teaching on the Holy Spirit in the new year, which I'm excited about. I love being a Mennonite brethren, but there's a Pentecostal in here that's <laughs> trying to get out a little bit. So we'll dive into that as we come into the new year. But, uh, you know, it sounds crazy, right? Reasonably crazy. And we talked a bit last week of some reasons why it's maybe not as crazy as it seems. But, you know, this is a, a faith moment. You receive this by faith or not. And Joseph is understandably doubting, and who can blame him for that, right? Who would not doubt that story? Sarah and I are finished having kids. We're officially finished having kids. We're officially finished, <laughs> if you get what I'm saying. 
And so if Sarah comes home pregnant, we got problems, Because right? I know that's not mine. And that's where Joseph finds himself. Like whatever else is going through his head, he knows that's not his because he's been faithful to God's word. And so he has this struggle. I love this woman. She has broken my heart. So he's, there's heartbreak in there. There's his integrity as a man of God. There is what is the community going to think? And there is what do I do now from here? And so his doubt is understandable and reasonable. And we may have doubts that are understandable and reasonable. We talked about last week how Mary had questions, tough questions. How is this possible? Uh, what's going to happen? And the angel didn't rebuke her or get mad at her. The questions are okay. And our doubts are reasonable sometimes because this is a faith walk. And for some people, faith comes very, very easily, and they, they really don't struggle with doubt that much. For some people, faith is a bit more difficult, and doubt is more uh, something that they have to work through. But we want to be able to be a place where we say, I understand doubt. We're okay with doubt. Doubt is, is normal when you're walking by faith, and we're okay to talk about that and discuss that and pray about that. So Joseph is in this place of doubt, and it says he doesn't want to expose her to public disgrace. Much is made of the fact that Joseph could have her killed in this moment. The Old Testament law said that the punishment for adultery was that you would be executed. Uh, that's how seriously God takes the marriage vows. And yet, I'm not sure if that's uh, necessarily what the issue is here. Just because the Jewish people at the time were occupied by Rome, they weren't allowed to execute their own people. Which is why later on, when the Pharisees want to get rid of Jesus, they go to Pilate. And they say, we don't have any law to execute anybody, but we want this guy gone. So, Rome, you have to do it. And that's probably also why the text doesn't say he didn't want to have her executed. It says he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. Because he has two options now when he wants to divorce her. The first is he can pull her in front of the town elders uh, in the public square and everyone will be there and that's where judicial matters were decided. And he can accuse her of adultery and if it can be demonstrated, which eventually it would, that she is in fact pregnant, then that would be it for Mary. No one would ever want to marry her again. She would get the divorce, but now she is labeled as an adulteress. And now she has a child, and no man's going to want to adopt that child. That's common maybe today, but that is not common in the culture of the time. So Mary will be finished. She will, she will wear that scarlet letter for the rest of her life, and she will live with her parents uh, because no one will ever marry her. And when her parents die, she better hope she has a brother or a sister who can take her in because she has no means to support herself. It will be the end of Mary's happiness, to say the least, for the rest of her life. The other option is... He can just do it quietly, as the text suggests. He can go to a priest. They can explain what happens. Nobody needs to know. The divorce can happen, and people might whisper or ask questions, but Mary would go away for nine months, and she would have the baby with relatives, and the baby could be raised there, and Mary would come home, and hopefully someone would want to marry her and take her into their home. And so Joseph chooses the second option. And... It shows us so much about who Joseph is because he's a godly man. He's a righteous man. He says, I can't get past this heartbreak. I can't get past, you know, this violation of me and my trust and our promise and God's word. But he loves her enough to say, I don't want to ruin your life over this, right? My plans just got turned upside down. Your plans just got turned upside down. But I don't want to bury you in this. And so his godliness and his love are sort of coming into tension. And so he says, I'm going to do the quieter thing because 1 Corinthians 13 says, love always protects. 
And so he says, I will protect you in this. I can't go through with this at this point because you've broken the vow, but I will protect you in this because love always protects. And again, in Joseph, we see this picture of grace, of this love and blessing and favor because in grace, we say, I love you even in your flaws, even in your sins. And in grace, God has looked at us and says, I love you even in your sin." And even though we have rejected him and we have rebelled against him and we have broken his heart, God says, I love you all the same. And so there's a picture of grace here. But God interrupts Joseph's plans and how he's going to react to the situation. Verse 20, after he'd considered this, the divorce, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph gets this profound encounter with an angelic being. Sometimes people say to me, I want to see an angel like they do in the Bible. No, you don't. Every time an angel shows up to tell somebody something that's coming, it's because your life is about to get so bonkers crazy that God needed to make sure you fully understood. So you get a face-to-face encounter when things are about to get weird. Because the path you are about to walk down is so difficult that he doesn't want to leave it up to just like, oh, I felt a little nudge in the prayer meeting, so I took this step of faith. Like, it's so big what's coming that he backs it up with a face-to-face encounter because you're going to need that encouragement moving forward, whatever it is. So be careful what you wish for. Pray for it if you want. Uh, But things might get weird as soon as they show up. And so Joseph has this encounter with an angel. Mary has just had an encounter with the angel as well. And God uh, speaks to him in this. And there's comfort and there's encouragement and there's reassurance. And there's a shifting of plans at this point. Right? We were going to get married, and now we're not going to get married. And then God encourages, no, get married. She hasn't cheated on you. She hasn't broken your heart. God is doing something beautiful and incredible. It's understandably difficult to wrap your head around, but God is doing something brand new in this case. And it is a, such a key of our faith that we believe that God is still speaking to us. It may not be as profound as an angelic encounter, but we believe that God has not just left us a book and said, all right, see you in heaven. You're on your own. He has left us a book, which is his inspired word, and he speaks to us by his spirit through his word all the time, if we will look for it and if we will listen. He speaks to us by his spirit in us, to our spirit. People sometimes use the language of God spoke to my heart or or the Lord impressed upon me or some of those types of phrases. He speaks to us through other people. He does that all the time. And that's maybe the hardest one to hear because sometimes I don't like the person who's telling me the thing that God is trying to communicate to me. He speaks to us in many different ways. And Joseph was willing to listen, and he was willing to adjust according to what he heard the Lord saying to him. And so are we hearing from God? Are we making time for that? Are we in the Word? Are we spending time listening? Are we listening to other people and getting other feedback? Because we don't have to actually discern God's Word to us on our own. That's why he gave us each other, that we can figure this out together. And in our church, we have at times what we call discernment teams. And together they are trying to hear God's voice in various ways when we're making big decisions about stuff. And so Joseph is in a place of doubt and in his place place of doubt, God speaks. And when we are in our place of doubt, if we are listening, God will be there to speak because God still speaks to us in lots of different ways. And so Joseph is willing to go with this. And in verse 21, the angel says, you are to give this baby the name Jesus because he will save his people 
from their sins. And that is what the word Jesus means. It literally means Yahweh, the Lord, saves. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. And so because Jesus is going to be the salvation of the Lord, because that is what's happening, that is the name that he is given. And when we sing about the name of Jesus and the beautiful name of Jesus and the holy name of Jesus, that is what we're talking about. The name itself means God is saving us. We don't save ourselves. God is doing this. And so you are to give him the name the Lord saves because the Lord is going to save his people through this baby that is about to be born. And again, there's this picture of grace there. That God saves us, that we don't save ourselves. That God blesses us, we don't bless ourselves. That favor comes from God, we don't earn it, it comes from him as a gift. And our job is to be faithful to the call, and our job is to be faithful to the word. Our job is to walk it out and do those things. And so Joseph is in his place of doubt, as we said, understandable doubt, reasonable doubt, but he doesn't stay in that place of doubt. And that's important, because we would never begrudge anyone for having a moment of doubt. But as people of faith, we don't want to stay in doubt. We want to be moving to faith, always. And although doubt might be common and doubt might be natural and reasonable, we always want to be moving through it and we want to be wrestling through it. We don't want to stay there because we are called to be people of faith. And so as people of faith, we want to be just pushing through our doubts and talking out our doubts and and studying as it relates to our doubts and researching, talking to people that we trust. Because Joseph, in his doubt, was willing to hear what the Lord had to say, and that was enough to change the plan. Once he had a sense of this is what God wants, his plans were able to change. And from that moment, everything changes. For Joseph, verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to his son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So there's no confusion that Joseph might be the dad. There's a good long break from the time Mary conceives. And so we're just being told here very clearly, Joseph is not the father. But he responds, and he protects Mary again, and he brings her home. The the picture that God gave him was enough to say, all right. And I don't think that that was probably the end, maybe, of all doubt or all questions for Joseph, just because he was a human being. But Joseph becomes a stepdad at that moment. And whatever that is, you know, whatever that looks like when it's the son of God as your son, and you know it's not your son, but you're raising him as your son, and whatever, you know, awkward moments that brings up, it's hard to imagine Jesus as, you know, coming up as a child, because we don't see a lot of what that was like in Scripture. But, you know, did Jesus throw temper tantrums when he was two, right? Were there arguments? If he was a normal boy, then of course, but he's the son of God. So we just don't know what was there. Did Joseph ever hear, you're not my real dad? Did that ever come up? (laughs) Last week we talked about Mary, did you know? Like, what did Joseph, what did he really know about all of this journey that was starting and the things that kids might say or that other kids might say? Matthew, a couple months ago, told me he hated me for the first time. And I said no to him on something. And he went, I hate you. And I get that he didn't mean it. And I get that kids say that. And I imagine I'm going to hear that a few more times before we're done this. But in the moment that it happened, it was like, oh, my heart. Ah, You have wounded me, sir. The things that can get said. And the things as they're raising up Jesus as their son, Because Joseph takes her home, and it's early, right? The betrothal period isn't done yet. They're jumping the gun there. 
And so you know there were people who saw that and went, huh, that's weird. Why are they getting married early? And they're going, wait a minute, I know how to count to nine. I see when that baby came. Isn't that interesting? Joseph was a righteous man, and I imagine his reputation took a hit. Joseph, Joseph was a carpenter. He was a businessman. I imagine his business reputation took a hit. And all the normal stuff that he's going through as a dad, as first-time dad, of not knowing what you're doing and trying to figure it out and trying to get to know your child in the best way to lead, and yet with that, the weight of everything else that is being carried in this situation. And Joseph is there, and he is faithful and the love that he showed to Mary, he shows to Jesus as he brings this son up as his own. And so Joseph was willing to say, you know what? I don't have all the answers. I, I have had my doubts, and my doubts maybe have been answered. But uh, whatever God is working out here, whatever doubt I'm wrestling through, whatever questions that I have, I don't need to have answers to everything. I don't need to have everything figured out because the faith and the trust that I have in the things that I do know, that God is good and that he loves me and that he wants good for me, my faith in those things is enough that I'm okay to navigate some doubt and I'm okay to navigate some questions and I'm okay to keep moving forward even if everything is not perfect and everything is not all figured out because that's the nature of faith. I don't have to have it all figured out. I'm going to trust him because I do trust that he loves me. I do trust that he's good. I do trust that he wants good for me. I do trust in his grace, which I don't deserve, but which he gives me anyway because he's good and because he loves me. So Joseph, I imagine, must have been a pretty good dad because of all the dads on earth in all of human history. He was the one that God chose to raise his son here on earth. And so as we are in Christmas and as we are reflecting on the Christmas story, uh, I wanted to spend some time on Joseph, who's often forgotten in this story. But Joseph is minding his own business. He has plans and hopes and dreams. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in his life. And his first response is doubt, but he is willing to allow that doubt to move forward. Uh, and he demonstrates faith and love and grace all the way through. We have an email address here at Meadowbrook. It's called questions at meadowbrook.ca. It's in your bulletin as well. If you have questions or comments or anything you'd like to discuss about today's message, we would love to get in touch with you. We like to have some back and forth on this stuff and keep the conversation going. Before we go, I want to show you a video, and then we will finish up with a little bit of worship. Uh, this video has been around for a while. I still really enjoy it. It's a number of Christmases old, but it is the Christmas story told as if Facebook existed at that time. Uh, the Christmas story told through the eyes of social media. Uh, and I like this video because it shows us a picture of Joseph and Mary and what they were going through. So let's take a look. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the grace that you have given and what you have shown us in your son as we worship Emmanuel, God with us, and especially at this time of year as we remember how that came about and the awesome, beautiful, incredible, new, wonderful thing that you did uh, because you loved us and you were bringing us back to you. And so we give you thanks and praise. And as we reflect on Joseph and his story, Lord, uh, come speak to us in our doubts and come and meet us there and help us like him to move towards faith and help us like him to respond with grace and help us like him to love well and to accept well and 
to be faithful to your word as we do. We thank you for the example of a righteous man, just as last week we honored a righteous woman. And I pray, Lord, that you will show us by your spirit this week what this means for us and what we do with this message and this teaching. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and speak as we have entered into your word together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Drive safe, and we'll see you next Sunday.